0: So the toxicity thing and the hormones thing is probably where you're going to meet the most roadblocks, especially as far as coverage for payment. But if you're doing the, the, you know, traditional basic, the regular blood work, the MRI, the PET scan, the, the interactive, the MOCA, if you're doing that piece, you're going to probably start with the primary care to say, Hey, we, we have some concerns, but you might need a referral from your doctor, depending on your insurance. Like some insurances, you need a referral to go see a specialist. So start there. Yes. Go look at your insurance and see, is this person in the network? Are they covered? Are they one of those, you know, some insurances say this is a preferred provider. So we'll cover this much, but for this provider, they're in this category. So Mm -hmm. we cover this much, you know, if financial concerns are in play here, you kind of have to do some research of who you're going to go see. Hello and welcome to the
1: NMU All podcast. I am your host, Christina Borsetti, and this is episode 30. If you did not have the opportunity to listen in to certified dementia practitioner and certified Montessori dementia care professional, Olivia Evans of Purple Hydrangea last week, I encourage you to do so as these two episodes come together. Olivia's been working with caregivers and those living with dementia for a decade. With a deep connection to those living with memory impairment, Olivia strives to bring the same sense of connection and understanding to all caregivers. The mission of Purple Hydrania is to better equip dementia caregivers with the tools that they need to feel supported, knowledgeable, and confident in their role. Olivia and I spent over an hour talking about dementia, talking about the ins and outs, the myths, the red flags, the how to take better care of yourself as a caregiver and how to better support the person that you are caregiving for. So in the first episode, you're gonna get more of that sort of tangible takeaway information, that fact versus fiction, the busting of the myths and all of that. Where in this episode, we are going to get more into how our behavior is affecting the one that we are caregiving for, how their behavior is affecting us, and what we can do to have better outcomes during times of strife. When things get really challenging, she's going to talk about the variety in the highs and lows as a individual is moving through stages of dementia. She talked about the stages of dementia. There's seven, didn't know that. And how in those different stages, there's just different ways that we can support our loved ones and support ourselves. So today's episode is Is more so uh, about supporting ourselves, supporting our emotional side. Uh, But we do get into some red flags within the home and also within a healthcare facility. So, really important, that's gonna be towards the tail end of the conversation. And as always, my guests like to share, I ask them, of course, but I like them to share what brings them joy. And we can really just glean something from that. If we are in a moment of you're tired and you're feeling desperate and alone and you just need an idea, even if it's something you've done a hundred times, you just need an idea to kind of get out of your own way. I love that last question because it gets my guests to really dig in and understand what brings them joy and also gives us some really awesome ideas to bring us more joy. And I really hope that that part is helpful. I hope that all these episodes are helpful. Remember to reach out if you have any questions after this episode. Otherwise, we're going to get to the show.
0: B, your boundary. My boundary is I can't do this anymore. It's too much on my plate. Again, it sounds ridiculous. Really vacuuming is too much for you, but it's just another thing to add on. My boundary is, I don't want to vacuum every single day. Then you go into C, you're going to communicate. This looks different for everybody because the communication is how you're coming to or your connection, communication or connection, how you're getting from where your boundary is to how you're going to fix it. So that's your C. And then you have D is delegation. So for me, I delegated the vacuuming. I bought one of those robot vacuums. It's like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm delegating that, it's off my plate. So for me, kind of the communication or the connection part was just buying the vacuum. But if your stressor is driving your kids to school in the morning and then making it to work on time, you have to be aware of that first. Your boundary is, I don't have time for this, I can't do it. You communicate that to somebody else and delegate the task. So as you figure out what the stressors are, And you figure out what your boundary is and then you communicate it to the right circle to the right person and delegate a task i'm telling you the weight of the plate gets lighter Mm -hmm. and then you have time and energy to then do the self-care thing Mm -hmm. and it's just this cycle of okay the more i make my life more efficient the better my stress is going to be. And then the better I can show up for the people in my life. Because if you're, if you're feeling like junk, you're going to show up like junk.
1: I totally get that. And that's something that I've myself had to put into practice this past Mm -hmm. year. And so therefore also helping clients with that a little bit more as well is just, and people are going to get sick of me saying that word too. awareness. But it's, it's, it is, it's really hard to, you know, just stop yourself in the moment. I think about, Mm -hmm. I am, so bad at not, I just get so upset when I'm driving and I need to get somewhere and somebody is <laughs> either like going way below the speed limit or they cut me off and I'm just mm-hmm. like, Lord, give me the patience. And I, it's just, it's, ugh. <laughs> it's something I'm working on. Nobody's perfect. And, but I have to stop myself. Why am I upset at this person right now? Is it because I'm running late? Mm-hmm. Am I running late because I did it, you know, and not to just guilt myself, but I have to understand, we have to understand right. why we're getting so triggered by this and why are you mad at this person who might have something else going on with them? You have to keep right. And just r- rinse, wash, repeat though. Right. Cause it's just, it's hard. It's, you can't do it once. Yeah. You're like, okay, huh. You know, back to, back to feeling yeah. great.
0: And that's yes. another thing about communication too. If someone like the driving example is perfect because I, I get that feeling like I need to be somewhere and this person is going five miles an hour right in front of me. Don't like, they know who I don't am? Don't they <laughs> know why I need to be? Right. So, but you know, if they haven't, and this is so hard to wrap our brains around because we we take people's actions and behaviors as, you know, the Bible, but yeah. Like personal friends. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, why am I putting my stuff on them if they haven't actually said to me, I'm cutting you off because I want to piss you off. And I want to be your day. <laughs> yeah. If they yeah. haven't said that to you, we can't assume that that's their intention. Same thing with dementia. Right. You know, right. we assume as, as caregivers, we assume that the behaviors, which are actually symptoms of their disease, right? If someone is diabetic, we're not going to get angry at them because their blood sugar was bad today. They can't help that. If someone's behaviors and dementia, their symptoms of the disease are bugging us, we can't get mad at them for that. They're not intentionally doing this. And we are just assuming that they're intentionally doing this because the majority of people, I'm just going to say it, the majority of people are not educated about dementia. And we assume the worst. We assume they're trying to make us mad. They're trying to ruin our day. They're acting like a child. They're doing this on purpose. And they're just not. So, we have to remember just like that driving thing, they didn't do that to me. It's my experience of someone else's actions and my yeah. assumptions of my brain putting that on them.
1: Yeah, that's a super important point. Just the perspective. Mm. Exactly. And we, of course, this is from years of our own experiences. I think of the word, you know, acting like a kid, because mm. I have a six year old. <laughs> And there are times where don't you understand what I'm saying to you? Don't why are you pushing my buttons? Things like that, and because she, she's not fully developed upstairs right. until right. What, like early twenties, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe a till, couple years. <laughs> I'm like maybe <laughs> till your forties if you're a man. Just kidding, <laughs> like no. <laughs> but you know it's just so long yeah. to to develop. Uh, I would think that if I was to have an aging parent, I would more than likely. Like, use that perspective. Oh, they're acting like a child. They're acting, they don't know. They don't know if I wasn't educated. So, yeah, that's a very, very good point. So, if someone's listening to this, I think that if anything, you're having a tough time right now. Could it just be that you need to change your perspective? So,
0: right. And we have to remember that a brain with dementia is not a child. If it helps you understand, because a lot of people say, well, now they need help going to the bathroom. Now they need help with this. Now they need help with that. I'm doing everything for them. They can't do anything for themselves. Well, number one, are you setting up their environment for success? Are you giving them the tools they need? Are we adjusting Mm -hmm. our life? I'm sorry, but we have to. We have to adjust and modify how things go so that they're successful. So if you think about kind of like a bell curve, Mm -hmm. right? So you said your daughter, she's six. She now knows knows how to go to the bathroom by herself. She knows how to feed herself. She knows how to walk, but she probably doesn't know a second language. Maybe she does, but you know, that's something you might learn later. That's where we're growing. We're going up. Then at the top of the peak, dementia happens. Then we start to go down the peak and we typically lose the skills in the opposite order that we gained them. So she would probably lose that second language first, revert to her primary first learned language and then kind of lose the ability to feed herself, lose her ability to walk, lose her ability to, you know, go to the bathroom on her own. The feeling of, oh, it's like a taking care of a toddler or a baby now. Yes, because they've lost those skills. That they at one point gained, but we still have to treat them as an adult. It's just modifying how we do things. And the number one thing I can say, and this is probably true of kids too, but we have to treat them with dignity and respect as an adult, just because they need help in the bathroom now doesn't give us permission to talk to them like a child, to punish somebody for something. It's, we have to remember it's an adult with a brain disease. It's not a three-year-old you know and mm-hmm. i think that's another perspective thing we just have to keep reminding ourselves this is a new way that mom is and i'm gonna have to adjust my approach for her to be successful
1: i think that also just if i was talking from my own perspective and in motherhood i've had to adjust this as well i wanted to have children i wanted mm-hmm. to i wanted to be a mom but there are times when if she got sick and I had work to do or something came up and I felt, it feel, feel selfish now, mm-hmm. but I, I don't have time for this right now. I don't have mm-hmm. time for this. And if we flip it to being the caregiver, now you're an adult. You didn't think, and you, maybe your kids are growing up and they're a little bit more, <clears throat> excuse me, autonomous. You didn't think that you would have to take care of your parents. You thought they would just- I think we all assume they're just going to get older and pass mm-hmm. away in their sleep. You know, well, let's hope, let's hope and pray for that for everybody. But I think there is that element of like, I don't have time for this. This is, mm-hmm. this is so much energy. And especially if you are still, as you said earlier in the sandwich generation, where you are taking care of a small child and you're taking care of yeah. a parent with dementia, I think that is the most taxing. And mm-hmm. like you said, finding that time for self-care and delicating and things like that. But that just it was a thought that popped into my head, just being, you know, taking a perspective from a mother and thinking of it yeah. as an adult. That's just a lot on the person. And if you,
0: you know, a lot of, as as you were talking about that, I can just picture like, and this might not have been what you're trying to communicate, but it sounds like that feeling of I'm on an Island by myself. Yeah. And a huge piece to that is finding that circle, finding Community. the right circle Mm-hmm, right You mm-hmm. have to find people that are in that same experience that really, truly understand it because if you, I don't have kids right now, I can't I can empathize with you, but I can't truly feel what you have felt with that. So same thing with caring for someone with dementia. You have to find either a friend or a you know, a person in your community who's been going through the same thing, find a support group, yeah. Find find people that not just will empathize with you, but actually truly understand it. And I tell yeah. caregivers, we're all this sounds so corny. I don't know where all these corny analogies come from with dementia care, but dementia caregiving as a whole, we're all gonna be in the same storm, right? But we're all on different boats. Some people might have a day where they're living on a cruise ship, some people are on that piece of wood from the Titanic. Some people are on like a tiny little dinghy boat, whatever your situation is, it's going to look different, but we're all going through the same journey. Yeah, all, You know, it's the same experience. It's just the tools and the, the specific piece of your journey that you're in. You have to be able to lean on people that really, truly understand.
1: Oh yeah. That was one of the most important parts of when my daughter was very young and I was also recovering from being sick and then I was able to start being more active. I ended up, well, I ended up working at the a mom's gym. I was teaching there, mm-hmm. but it was the community that were, were so helpful because you'd hear other moms sitting around in the lounge, joking about some of the things that you thought that you were the only person on planet earth going through. And you're like, oh, <laughs> this is normal. Yeah, you know, it's, it's normal for them to throw their toys to the floor and run out of the room <laughs> screaming or to- you know, nowadays it's be sassy, you know, like whatever it is. <laughs> so there is, I think community is so important. And as you said, finding that community, finding that group, and maybe that's your form of self-care, taking like 10 minutes out of your day to just look mm-hmm. up a community or a group or or some 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 sort of support that's gonna help you not feel so alone in that. One of the uh, uh, things that we talked about before off camera was that uh, some myths, some common Mm. misconceptions. And so I wanted to definitely hit on that before we get too close to the end of our time.
0: I, when I was working in facilities and actually when I met the woman that inspired me to start Purple Hydrangea, when I was working there, I really got thrown into the deep end of working with families and other people's perspective, like the personal side of dementia caregiving, not I'd always, at that point, I would always been on the professional side. So seeing the perspective of people on the personal side and realizing there's a huge lack of education here, like, wow, there's a lot of assumptions happening. And a lot of people that are so convicted that they know And it's completely false, which is kind of where my whole idea of purple hydrangea started where Mm -hmm. I was like, I need to, I need to fill this gap of education and support because holy cow, where are people even getting this first myth right off the bat is that it's just memory loss. It's just memory loss. That's all it is. We don't really always look at all the other stuff that's happening because the memory loss is so Right in our face, but like we talked about, with the sensory changes, the depth perception changes, speech changes. That's a huge one. Um, social interactions, facial recognition, not being able to manage the day to day. That's really when it's a problem, right? So if you, if I said to you right now, "Hey, go get your keys for your car," you might have to think for a minute. Like, where did I put my keys? Where did I put those? but you could find them because in your brain, you can logically go step to step of, oh yeah, I put them here last night. They're probably still on the counter or whatever it is. Someone living with dementia can't really backtrack like that because of those communication issues in the brain. So number one, it's just memory loss. Not true. Another myth that people really believe is that the stage, okay, it's not really a myth. It's more so a perspective thing Mm -hmm. with the stages of dementia. People assume that it's a direct down, you know, we're plummeting into basically. Mm -hmm. That's not how it is. It's much more fluid as we move through the disease process. So you might kind of be in kind of holding where you are with your decline for a little bit And then take a little bit of a decline and then stay there for a little bit, kind of like stairs. So you might notice Mm -hmm. that kind of decline. Some people kind of go up and down. Some people you might say, wow, they're having a really good day. Everything's going really well. They're getting better. This is great. And then there's a huge decline after that. Mm So we don't want to, people get so attached to the stage because there's stages one through seven of dementia. People Mm -hmm. get so attached to the number. Oh, my mom's in stage five. But if you get so attached to that, You don't really have a lot of flexibility around if they're having a good day or a bad day.
1: build too many Um, expectations.
0: Yeah. The decline is different for everybody. With that stage thing, people assume you have Alzheimer's stage five. I have Alzheimer's stage five. We are going to decline at the same rate in the same way. And that's not true. It's going to be different for everybody. One of the biggest myths, one of the biggest assumptions that people have is that once you have dementia, you can't do it. You're incapable now. And that's just not true. It's that adjustment of how we do things. Are we looking at their past, their the roles that they had pre-dementia? I encourage people that either have, if they're caring for someone who, who's really early stage or people in their life that don't have dementia, get to know them as much as you can, get to know their preferences, because God forbid they do get dementia, how are you going to set them up for success? So if I say, if the assumption is, well, Christina, once you get dementia, you don't get choices anymore. You can't do things for yourself. I'm just going to do it for you. Now I'm going to send in a caregiver that's going to try and give you a shower at 8am. What if you like showering at night? Yeah, And then you don't want to shower in the morning and then it gets written off as, oh, she refused, she's resisting. She was combative mm. or you like body wash and they're trying to use bar soap or you like to, you know, wash your hair once a week, but they're trying to wash your hair every day. You know, whatever these assumptions are, these these things that we push on them, you're only asking for trouble for yourself. So yeah, don't assume that they can't do it. It's just modifying and adjusting. I think people assume that once you get dementia, you can't be alone at all anymore. you can't um, make your own decisions. you can't go to the doctor by yourself, You can't order your own dinner. You know, it's this treating like a child thing. Yeah, you should have things in place like a power of attorney and a healthcare proxy. And, you know, you should have had conversations about what Mm -hmm. your person wants at the end of their life and all these things. But just because someone has dementia does not give you the crown and the wand to say, I'm in charge of everything and you don't get choice anymore. I think that's the biggest misconception is that they don't get choice anymore.
1: I actually wanted to ask you about that because as I mentioned at the very top of our chat, that my grandmother had this strong affinity for sweets because growing up, mm-hmm. she didn't, I mean, she used to steal sugar packets from the, the restaurant. I go, okay, <laughs> the war, the war is over. You know, <laughs> We can afford to buy we stuff sugar now. at home. Yeah. <laughs> Too much. Yeah. But it was, <laughs> God rest her soul. Yeah. So, you know, she just had that. And so my mother, I remember a conversation. We'll just let her have it at this point. Mm -hmm. You know, she's Mm -hmm. already there. Is that something that you would agree with it at this point? They're so far in, or what if they're early stage and that's something they're doing? What is your opinion on that?
0: So that's a loaded question. I know. So many pieces to that. All right. Number one, if they're like really early stage, I mean, some people that are really, really early stage, you can't even tell that they have dementia. You could totally hold a conversation with them and everything's beachy keen. If it's a sugar, like if we take sugar as the example, we have this drilled into our head that dementia is this terminal illness, they're going to die anyway, you know, give them what they want, whatever. I agree with that to a point. Like we said, there's all these things you can do to try to improve your cognition with your hormones and your nutrition and the sleep and all these other things, right? So if they're actively choosing something like the sugar, we know it's poor for nutrition. But if they're really early stage, can we swap that out with another choice, or can we limit it? Um, you know, I'm not saying go to bat and say you know, you're never having sugar again. It's really terrible for you, but I'm also not Mm -hmm. saying, yeah, here, have all the sugar you want. You kind of have to, especially in early stage, you can kind of see how you can adjust what you can swap out. Why are they craving the sugar? Is it a nutrient deficiency? And they're having that sugar craving because they're actually deficient in something else. So that's kind of earlier. If they're in really late stage or they are, you know, bed bound or they're on hospice or they're on palliative care and they're, you know, They've, they've really lived their life, give them the sugar if they really want it. You know, let
1: them eat cake,
0: let them eat cake. Yes. And I, it, you know, it's funny. I follow this woman on Instagram. Um, She's a hospice nurse and her content is absolutely spot on. Perfect. She's not, not specifically for dementia, just hospice in general, but she said, if the family say, you know, what, what do I do? How do I, how do I treat the end? Do I, do I limit it? Do I give it to them? How, How do I do this? let them have it, let them enjoy, you know, we're not in the business of making your life terrible and saying, well, nope, now you just get to eat kale forever. And your life is going to be miserable because if we're going to sacrifice their happiness, Mm -hmm. what's the point? It's a big question of, we want to give them their happiness, but we want to keep them healthy. And we Mm -hmm. want to, we don't want to encourage the disease. We don't want to make it worse on purpose. It's really about where you are in the process. Cause this could be 20, 25 years that you're dealing with this. So, you know, where you are in the process, is there an underlying issue? How can you modify? Loaded question. Don't really have an answer, but
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that what I'm hearing is that it's just finding balance
0: mm-hmm.
1: where if you think that, most people will go just hard, take it all away, clean out all the stuff that's going to make it worse. I want to make them, I want to try to reverse where we're at. Like you said, number one, figuring out where they are in that process. Mm-hmm. And you said there's seven steps and so, or seven phases, right. Mm-hmm. And then finding out where they are and deciding from there, Do can they still make choices? Is mm-hmm. this a choice that they want to make? Is it something that they enjoy? How often mm-hmm. are they doing it? It's, I've been, I breaking it down all these questions, but I'm, I believe that it would be a much simpler process for someone who is in front of the person that they're, they're managing than it would be for us to sort of diagnose it and pick it apart.
0: It, you know, kind of like how we talked about with the, you know, all these aspects, all the, all the balls in the basket of things that make your risk higher. You can't, and we talked about, you can't do all of them all at the same time. Is this a battle worth fighting? Maybe we adjust something else to help their cognition a little bit more. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to go crazy bananas and throw out everything in the house, like you said, you know, you throw away all the sugar, throw away all this, throw away all that, get rid of all this. There's no joy in that. If there's no joy, there's no excitement. There's no happiness, then what are we doing so uh, that, that modification all, all life right right yeah,
1: yeah yeah exactly yeah not cutting out everything so there was something actually now i've just forgotten but i you know we wanted to talk a little bit about uh red flags mm. in the home mm-hmm. so that's something i wanted to and then hopefully that other question will pop back into my head but <laughs> you'll think
0: of it <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So. <laughs> as Jeez. soon as we hang up you'll be like oh i remember you. Yeah. there it is um yeah, the red flags. Okay. There's a few different things. Number one red flag for anybody living with dementia in any situation is their safety. If their safety is at risk, that's a big like, hello, something needs to change. Because the one of the top questions I get from caregivers is, when do I know that they can't live at home anymore? Number one assessment of that, number one question there is safety. So I worked with a family, for example, that they're taking care of their mom at home She's living in her own home. So the family, you know, the adult children are living their own lives in their own homes. Come see mom when they need to. And I said, and they said, well, how do we know if she's safe there? How do we know if this is okay? And I said, if the smoke detector, smoke alarm went off, what would she do? And they said, oh, that happened. You know, we, she was making toast or something. Mm -hmm. And she said, wow, that's annoying. And I thought, okay, that's a red flag. If you don't know basic safety, I'm talking if you like if you were gonna tell your ten year old, hey, if the smoke detector goes off, what do you do? And they say turn it off, or they say, oh, that was annoying. Then you know you need to teach your kid this is what you do. Mm-hmm. So again, not trying to make the kid, the kid parallel, but, but yeah. you have to assess the safety. So if she just says, oh, that's annoying oh, how do I shut that off? That's a safety concern because she's not going to leave the house if there's a fire. That's a red flag for potentially not being able to live at home alone. Falling, that's another thing. If somebody's falling, do they have a lifeline button? Does it have false detection on it? Mm -hmm. Are they taking their medication the right way? Are they Mm -hmm. eating? Take a look in their fridge. Is 50% of it expired food? That's a problem. You know, you can kind of pick up on what is a safe space for them to live. So that's if they're at home. Then, if we look at facilities, facility red flags are a whole other animal. And I've worked in facilities, so I think I can say this. But Mm -hmm. um, when you're touring, if you're touring a facility and trying to figure out, is this, are these, you know, is this a good place for my person? Or are there red flags and maybe we should go a different route? First thing you should look at is the staff and the residents. What are their facial expressions and their body language? Because if all the staff is sitting around with their arms crossed, the mood is just Mm -hmm. and if the residents look unhappy, they look like they're just sleeping all the time or they look like they, I don't want to say they look drugged, but it's a, a term called snowed yeah, yeah yeah like they've had too much medication to try and keep them calm which is a whole other conversation about using medication for behavior management you can kind of look around and see the vibe of the facial expressions and the body language and then the other red flag you want to look at is the activities the engagement of people because if the whole calendar is movies and bingo get out of there yeah if what's presented on the activity calendar versus what's actually happening. If those are different, then you know, the activity calendar is probably for marketing Mm -hmm. and they're not actually doing it. That's a problem. Your person's probably going to be staying in bed all day. And this is a generalization. This isn't to bash facilities. And then the last thing I would really pay attention to is the smell. If you can smell a lot of urine Specifically, Mm -hmm. then that should be a red flag for you. That's a concern that maybe people are not being toileted frequently enough, or not being cleaned properly after or trash isn't being taken out frequently enough. It's just a red flag to have your radar up around what does the hands-on care actually look like if my person is here. Overall, both home and facility, your number one red flag is gonna be quality of care around safety because all of those are safety concerns. If they're not engaged or they're too medicated, risk for a fall, they don't really know what's going on, all of those are safety concerns to me. So the number one red flag for anything related to dementia is their safety. And I did remember
1: the question and I even started on my page, which is staring at me in the face. <laughs> Good times. Uh, is that we talked earlier about uh, you can go and get tested for the alleles. And what do you, how do you test for actually discovering if you, like you have it, you go and you think you have it. What are the tests for that?
0: there's a lot. It's not just, you know, let me take your blood and yes, you have dementia, um, which would be so much easier. Like if we could do the COVID test, just stick a yeah. thing up your nose and yeah, you have dementia or no, you don't a whole slew of tests that you would need to get done because what we should be doing, our goal should be to rule out dementia. So like we talked about, you know, it could be a nutrient deficiency, like with the sugar craving, maybe they're lacking in magnesium or they don't have enough zinc or whatever. So you're going to get blood work done. You can get your hormones tested if your doctor lets you do that. Sometimes it's a whole, you know, what does insurance cover? You would probably get an MRI. Um, you could get a PET scan. They would do like a like an interactive kind of test, asking some questions to kind of gauge that way. There's something called a MOCA test where you need to s- score a certain number to be considered you know, cognitive impairment or not. So there's a whole bunch of testing that goes into it. It, it takes a while. It's kind of a pain in the butt, but you want to make sure that you're hitting all these points because like we said, it could be something else. It might not be dementia. And, you know, we, you go on a vitamin, you go on a supplement. Maybe it's a toxin issue when you're breathing in black mold in your house, you take that, get that taken care of and poof, everything is better So you want to have all of these different tests because you could find something else, but this isn't, you know, you go to your primary care doctor. This is either a neurologist, a neuropsychiatrist, people that specialize in the evaluation and the diagnosis. If you take nothing away from listening to this podcast, if your person gets diagnosed with dementia and the doctor doesn't tell you what type of dementia it is, or you can't get an answer from them, go to somebody else fight like hell to get the specific diagnosis because being told it's dementia, that's not good enough. Not helpful. Yeah. Because
1: yeah. You know, when I'm listening to you say all that, I'm thinking, okay, so, because I've gone to go get blood work from my my healthcare practitioner and my general practitioner. And she just kind of like scoffed at me at the time. I go, you're a female in your forties too. Like, why is this a conversation? Like, I want right. to make sure that, you know, so anyhow, I did. And then I got hit with an $800 bill. It, I probably should have called insurance, but I didn't think I was like, Oh, insurance just covers everything. Doesn't it? To some degree. I th- I think that if you're a caregiver and you're trying to take someone through this, or you're someone who's early stage and you're trying to diagnose it yourself, be very confusing. So is the first step to call your insurance company and see what gets covered and then to go do like vitamin deficiency test or, and then with the toxicity, I can even say the word toxicity test. (laughs) That's something, isn't that like a third party thing? Cause they don't do that through.
0: Yeah. So the toxicity thing and the hormones thing is probably where you're going to meet the most roadblocks, especially as far as coverage for payment. But if you're doing the the you know traditional basic you know the the regular blood work the MRI the PET scan the the interactive the Moca um, if you're doing that piece you're going to probably start with the primary care to say hey we we have some concerns um, if your person is super adamant that they're fine everything's fine everything's fine you can kind of slip a note to the doctor beforehand or the secretary when you check in that says um, we're concerned about cognition. Can, can you handle this kind of delicately something that the doctor knows separate of your person, Mm -hmm. if it's a sensitive thing already, but talk to the primary first, because you're right with the insurance, it's awful, but you might need a referral from your doctor, depending on your insurance. Like some insurances, you need a referral to go see a specialist. So start there. Yes. Go look at your insurance and see, is this person in the network? Are they covered? Are they one of those? you know, some insurances say this is a preferred provider. So we'll cover this much, but for this provider, they're in this category. So we Mm -hmm. cover this much. If financial concerns are in play here, you kind of have to do some research of who you're going to go see. If you need a referral from your doctor, are they in network, all that stuff. And if you have Medicare, what everybody should be doing is looking for a shine counselor, S H I N E. They help you navigate health insurance things they're yeah. free they'll give you advice they'll help you walk through stuff if you need to apply for medicaid um, to help cover things or they can help you kind of navigate
1: no, okay.
0: your health insurance what's covered what's not who to go to they're really good at giving advice around how do i do this what do i do with this uh, but yeah you would start with your primary first and definitely do your research because if you get hit with that 800 hundred dollar bill and you just wanted to know where your hormones are at. I mean, that's ridiculous to me. You should yeah. be able to if they'll test my cholesterol, but they won't test your hormone levels. But Yeah. The hormone issue could be leading to all your other issues. So Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's only a snapshot in time, right? So there's there's yeah. that as well.
0: And if you do get a bill like that, see if you can get it reimbursed through your insurance and say, "You know, I had concerns about X, Y, and Z, and I had reason to believe that getting this test would help me figure out A, B, and C. Your mm-hmm. insurance might reimburse part of it, but yeah, you got to do your research.
1: Yeah, do your research. You know, I said that the previous episode, I was like, learn from my mistakes, <laughs> call for your insurance company, because it, mm-hmm. it gets daunting. I, I mean, we all know if we've ever gotten the phone call and had one bad insurance phone call mm-hmm. and they're oh, you know, they are like, I don't want to, I don't, it's like sitting at the DMV, Yeah, you know? <laughs> It's just waiting for your number to be called. It's depressing. You yeah. know, there's no television or music. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah.
0: And you definitely yeah. want to push hard because it it it's almost if you get frustrated enough and you give up and then, oh well, I don't need my hormones tested. So if you feel in your gut, then go with that and advocate hard because you know your body and you know your person better than the doctor does. I'm sorry, but you're in a doctor's office for, you know, seven minutes, 10 minutes. What do they know? You're with your person 24 hours a day, potentially, you know, you know, so whatever your gut is telling you go with that.
1: And so that is a good note to end on. However, before we wrap it all up, I wanted to know, well, I want the listeners to know where they can find you and Mm -hmm. anything else that you wanted them to know.
0: What else do I, I want everybody to know everything about dementia, but I just we don't have time for that.
1: <laughs> I have to do another um, episode.
0: Oh, yes. I could, you know, it's it's funny because y- you you don't realize what you don't know until you need to know it or you don't know what you do know until someone asks you questions on their podcast. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. there you go. Um, but to find me, the easiest place to find me if you're on Instagram, purple hydrangea dementia. Um, I have a link in my bio with all of my offerings. You can work with me one-on-one. You can come to my free online classes. I'm going to be starting a support group soon. So lots of stuff there. Um, My link tree is just link tree slash purple hydrangea. Um, But yeah, you can find me. The easiest way to find me is on Instagram. If you want to email me, I'm care at gmail.com.
1: One final question actually, and I've, Asked a lot of my guests this was that mm. especially for someone like you who is interacting with families mm-hmm. who I mean this is this has been a very sensitive subject for me I've been trying to hold back some of my emotions and just hearing mm. uh, you talk about it so what do you do for yourself what is something that you How do you bring joy into your life uh, given, you know, just given what you do for a living, given life in general, what is something that you do for yourself that brings you more joy?
0: Uh, This is not an ad, but I will tell you, I go to Orange Theory Mm -hmm. for my gym and I am telling you, it is my one hour a day or whenever I go. It's the one hour that I can completely zone out from everything. I can zone out from everything at home, everything at work, whatever's going on in my life, all the stressors. If I am moving my body and listening to music, nothing else is in my head. That is like gold to me. So, mm-hmm. I keep my sanity. I'm telling you, it's my one hour and if I if I wear my uh my Apple Watch, I got to turn my notifications off because you know, we live in this world where you're constantly yeah. available all the time. So, or if I'm cooking or baking, then I'm mm-hmm. just in the zone. Awesome. We're teaching people about dementia. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Top four or five things. That... <laughs> yeah,
0: just, you know, a hot bath, a nice walk outside. <laughs> but I would just say exercise. Exercise yeah. is just like, if if you're listening and you're not exercising, I'm telling you, you will feel 10 times better after you just yeah. move your body a little bit. It's
1: so true. Sometimes I just have to like go in my basement and throw myself on the gym mat and I'm just like, just yeah. be here. But once I start getting into it and it's just like you said, you start feeling the music and you start moving yeah. and you're like, okay, I'm in yeah. it now. I'm in it. Yeah. It's good.
0: Yeah. You Even just have to like, start. Because yeah. yeah. Once you started, you can just keep going.
1: Yeah. Just, just do yeah. something. I don't know. Get out of bed and hula hoop around or something. <laughs> I don't know. Just move. Just go with it. I think we often just have to, we feel like because we have to structure that time in for ourselves, that Mm -hmm. that time has to be structured. No, just do whatever you want. Like just just move your body, have fun, feel good, be goofy. Nobody cares,
0: (laughs) you know, (laughs) park farther away from the door and then take your walk inside the store.
1: All right, Miss Olivia, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been incredible. I think I'm going to have to split it into two episodes, which is awesome. And uh, we'll definitely have you back because this is a subject that is near and dear to my heart. And I, so many other people just need to learn more about dementia care and, and how to take care of give. So thank you.
0: Thanks for having me and take care of your brain. I
1: personally learned something you know, with every single episode that I record at the time when I'm in the motion of speaking with my guests. I'm not necessarily inputting that information, but when I go back and I edit and I edit and I'm listening to it again once it's up there on iTunes or Spotify. Uh, making sure that everything came out okay, that I'm just learning something new every single time. And I did. I just felt like these last two episodes were so extremely helpful. And I, again, just want more people to understand uh, the inner workings of dementia and how we can both prevent and support during this phase or during, like just being preventative. I think overall, the show is really about getting us to understand how we can be more proactive in our health I mean, whether it's cancer, dementia, or anything else out there that's coming at us at all times, we have to take care of ourselves the best way we know how. And I did, was listening to someone the other day who said, is the thing that you're about to do going to affect you in 10 days? Or how is this thing going to affect you in 10 days? uh, 10 years? I think it's 10 minutes, 10 years. Oh my gosh, I don't even know. I'm doing a bad job. I think it's a 10, 10, 10 rule or something. Um, Very, you know, memorable uh, in that way. But I think overall, the idea is that what is it? This thing that you're going to do right now is it going to affect you in a positive way? And you could say, "Oh, I don't do it very often," but it's not very often, like once a week. Um, you know, so if, for instance, if you're drinking heavily three days out of the week, uh, and you're saying, "Well, I don't only do three days out of the week; it's not really that big of a deal." But how is that going to affect you in you know, ten days from now? How is that going to affect you in ten years from now? A lot of us don't even think about that, and that's. really the message I'm trying to convey here and get across and I think Olivia was definitely is trying to do that as well. It's like, let's not wait until we have to hit the emergency button. Let's not wait until, you know, we're in so much pain that we're asking for someone and begging for someone to help us. And oh gosh, there's so much more going on in my head right now that I want to break down. I think it has a lot to do with generations and how we were parented and how we cope with things. But at the end of the day, take care of yourself, take care of your brain, take care of your body. And do what is best for you so that you can live a really long, healthy life as much as you can, right? We, nothing is guaranteed, but if we can just try our best, well, the best is what we can do. I think my daughter's just like, I tried my best and my best is good enough, or something like that. I'm doing really bad with all of these reflections and analogies today, but hopefully you guys get it. And thank you again so much for joining me in this episode. If you liked this episode, if you found it helpful, please send. Send it to somebody you know. And also, I would be so grateful if you would just take 30 seconds to leave a review and rate the show as this show only grows with more ratings, more reviews, getting it into the hands of more women who really need this encouragement, who really need this education. Thank you so much for your time. As always, remember, take what you need, leave what you don't, and then be well. Have an awesome week, and I'll talk with you soon.